Well, I invite you to turn to our, our scripture passage this morning. Uh, it's over on page me, over on page three of your bulletin. This morning we're continuing our fall sermon series that we're entitling "The Church and All Her Servants." Uh, it, it connects with other happenings in the church this fall. We're we're considering and getting ready for uh, deciding as a congregation: should we add an additional elder, an additional deacon to our to our church, additional servants for the for the body? And we're we're taking time to step back and and ask ourselves biblically. Okay, well, what, what exactly is a servant in the church, whether it's an elder or a deacon or or, or, or an everyday believer? For that matter, what exactly is the church? And what does God say about her and call her to be as a, as a body? We started that last week looking at 1 Peter 2, these different pictures of what the church is. The church is made up of those who are brought to Christ as, as living stones built together so that we can be that dwelling place of God, that we can uh, be the people that offers spiritual sacrifices to God, lifting up praise and, and glory to him so that we might be his treasured possession, uh, the church of Christ. But this morning, uh, we're going to look at a different passage of Scripture. Now, uh, going over to Paul's, writing in, to Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, uh, and it, it connects with what we're to do this morning in celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, we traditionally celebrate the Lord's Supper on the third Sunday of the month. Uh, okay, so what does the Lord's Supper have to do with the study of the church? Uh, does the supper have anything to do with the church? Well, let's listen to the Apostle Paul and see and meditate on, on God's Word together. First, let's, let's go ahead and read from 1 Corinthians 10. Verses 14 to 17. Listen to, to God's word. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let's pray for God's blessing. Lord, we do thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would use it and help us to have understanding and encourage and strengthen us, we do ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you ever look around at the church and just feel like the church looks like a mess, then 1 Corinthians is your book. Because <laughs> here's Paul writing to this church in Corinth, and they're a mess in all sorts of ways. You, you read and you find out they have theological problems, they have practical everyday worship practice problems, they have relationship problems, they're a mess. And Paul writes to them, to encourage and challenge and help them to grow and mature as a, as a church doing church together. So a, a great place to look if you feel like, wow, the church just looks like a mess. Uh, this is a great book to look to. It's also, coincidentally, the book that talks the most about the Lord's Supper. You get more about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians than any other book of Scripture. 
Could it be that there's actually a connection? That, that part of what Paul wants to do in helping the church to mature as church is going to tell them about the Lord's Supper? That the, the Lord's Supper could actually help us be a better church? Is that, is that possible? Are those connected? Well, well, let's look at these first few verses, or these few verses of 1 Corinthians 10, and see how Paul makes those connections. Well, first, it starts with, it starts with the foundation. The foundation, which is our, our communion with Christ. So here's 1 Corinthians 10. Paul's talking about this, this close connection between, between the, the supper and the church. But first he talks about this connection between the Lord's Supper and, and Christ. Uh, he, he is actually using the Lord's Supper in this chapter as, as an illustration of a, of a larger point he's making. Uh, he's instructing the, the Corinthians on whether or not they're allowed to participate in pagan idol festivals and feasts. That was an issue in the, one of the many issues in the church, was that there were some in the, in the church, professing Christians, who, who said, because of their Christian freedom, they should be perfectly allowed to go and, and eat at one of these feasts where, where there was a, a sacrifice made to, uh, to, to pagan gods, and then the food was then like a fellowship meal. And Christians are like, we should be allowed to do that. Idols are nothing. No big deal, right? And Paul writes to them to say, um, no, actually, you can't. And here's why. Uh, because for you to eat that food, uh, you're actually participating, having this connection with what happened in that sacrifice to that pagan god. So to eat is to participate and connect yourself with what happened at that pagan altar. And he says, well, they're idols, and there's actually demonic behind demonic uh, forces behind those idols. Don't connect yourself with that. And he brings up the Lord's Supper as actually an illustration of that, that to eat is to participate. To eat is to connect. Uh, and he makes the point with, with Christ. Okay, so verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So you see what Paul's doing? He's talking about the elements in the Lord's Supper. You got bread, and you got a cup. Uh, it, it points to, those elements point to, a sacrifice that has already taken place. Right? So it's kind of like the pagan feasts, only this is the real deal. Uh, this is actually the real, uh, the real God. This is actually the real work of Christ, right? His death, right? His body, symbolized by the bread, his body given on the cross as our substitute to save us, dying in our place. His blood shed uh, to wash us clean, right? The blood making atonement uh, for our sin. That's the finished work of Christ. One sacrifice, overdone. But the, but the, the feast, the eating and drinking, uh, it points back to that. Uh, but actually, he says, it doesn't just remind us of the work of Christ. Uh, eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper actually involves connection participation. Uh, actually, you could translate that word participation as fellowship. Um, it's the word where we get uh, the term communion from. You wonder why do we sometimes call this communion? Because that's the word here in 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion? 
in the blood of Christ. Uh, the bread that we break. Is it not a communion in the body of Christ? Uh, again, not because Christ is physically being sacrificed here. It's kind of like that pagan altar. The, the sacrifice already took place, but for us to eat here is to have this connection uh, with what happened uh, at, that, uh, at that sacrifice. Uh, these, these elements don't just, don't just represent Jesus, kind of like, don't forget Jesus. They do that, but they do something more. They actually draw us into communion with Christ and his saving, his saving work. Um, it's, it's a challenging concept. Uh, the illustration that helps me wrap my head around this is one that my old professor likes to use. Sinclair Ferguson likes to talk about <clears throat> how there's something akin to a, a, a godly husband coming home uh, after a long day of work, and he comes to his wife, and he greets her with a kiss. And he says, think, think about that. The husband comes home, he greets his wife with a kiss. Think about what that kiss is. Um, it's nonverbal communication. Right? He's saying something to his wife in a nonverbal way, in a, in a tactile way. Um, it's, it's communicating something about his love for her uh, and his commitment to her. Um, but it doesn't, it's not just a reminder. Right? Don't forget I love you. It's that. Uh, but actually, again, if it's, a, if it's a godly husband and a good relationship, that kiss doesn't just remind her of his love. It actually draws her into that love. Right? It, it draws her into communion in that love, you could say. Participation in that love. The, the, the symbol draws her into communion in that relation, communion in that love. And that is something akin to what's going on uh, in the Lord's Supper. We have in the Lord's Supper uh, God's nonverbal communication to us. He's speaking to us in the Supper without words. The same good news of Jesus we get in the Bible in words. He's speaking to us in pictures and tactile things. But, but it's a little more than just Jesus died for you, speech, communication. It's Jesus died for you, uh, and yet by partaking in faith, right? You've got to come in faith. But in faith, it actually draws you into communion in that, in that, in that saving love, and into participation and, and fellowship with Christ and what he did for you. Kind of like that kiss draws the wife in and has her in communion with that relationship and that love. So the, the, the supper does a similar thing as we come in faith. So you can even just stop there and, and see how that really provides a richer understanding of what exactly we're doing here. Uh, and, and why we can get excited about coming to the Lord's table. And even expect that God's going God's to gonna encourage and he's going to strengthen us. This is, a, this is a means of grace because... God is reminding us of, of what Christ did, and he's drawing us in uh, to that loving salvation, that loving relationship, even having communion in it as we come in faith. So there's the foundation. It's, it's communion with Christ. But then he quickly transitions uh, into communion with each other. Notice how we just finished verse 16, then he can read into verse 17. Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Right? You, can, you can see the connection to the Lord's Supper. 
right? It's talking about one bread, right? That's the element he just talked about. Uh, <clears throat> the bread that represents the, the body of Christ, that picture of, of Christ crucified there at the Lord's Supper. And he says, one bread. Right? It's, it's the picture of, of Christ and him crucified. One Christ crucified for us. Uh, and, and, and which, of course, is the one physical body of Christ, right? The physical body of Christ uh, is represented by the bread, one, the one physical body of Christ that died on the cross for us. <clears throat> but then he uses that, that idea of body of Christ, and then uses it to refer to something else, which is the church, right? Because there is one bread, and we're thinking, oh, that, that's a, a, an emblem of Christ's physical body on the cross. And then he says, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, right? Body of Christ. That's actually Paul's, one of Paul's favorite images for what the church is. It's the body uh, of Christ. We're actually going to talk more about that next week and how later in Corinthians he expands on that picture to teach about the church. But, but here you just get this idea uh, of how he introduces it. The church is one. Uh, the church is believers united together as a, as a body, even though we're many different individuals, all looking different, united together as one body. And here he connects it to, uh, to the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we're, we're one because we're all connected to the same Jesus, right? Uh, we're, we have communion with the same Jesus. Uh, therefore, we are, who are many, are one because we all partake of the, the one bread. We're all connected to the same Jesus, and we're celebrating here that connection to the same Jesus. And that means we're, we're connected to each other, uh, right? You get the idea. If you are connected to Jesus and I'm connected to Jesus, guess what? We're connected to each other. And so then it begins to flesh out what we're doing at the Lord's Supper, that it's not just you having communion with Jesus and me having communion with Jesus. That also means, therefore, we're having communion with each other. This connection and fellowship uh, with, with one another. Uh, it, it, it really it enriches what, what's happening here uh, at, the, at the Lord's table. <clears throat> Again, you can bring in that picture of, of, uh, of the husband uh, kissing his wife, right? Not just uh, a reminder of his love, but actually drawing her into fellowship uh, in, that, in that love, communion in that love, right? So God is doing that between us and the Lord, Right? We're drawn into communion in that, in that love and celebrating it and in having fellowship in it. But also that same type of fellowship is therefore what we have with one another as we come to the table. Right? And the same way we're celebrating our, our connection to Jesus and being drawn into it, well, therefore we're, we're having the same kind of connection celebrated and fellowship with, uh, with one another. Uh, as we have communion with Christ, by very necessity, we're having communion with each other. Um, which is, again, it's, it's something a little difficult to wrap our minds around because we don't typically tend to think about that as we come to the Lord's Supper. Uh, typically, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we, we tend to focus in on trying to forget that there's anybody else in the room. Right? Just try to like think in, sometimes even just with our whole how we do it. Right? Okay, so you close your eyes as much as possible during communion, right? And you even sometimes you lean down, like almost like nobody else is here. It's just me and Jesus. And, and you know, I, I get it. It's not that there's wrong, something wrong with that. But, but again, what, what can seep in is, 
is if I'm doing it right, I'm pretending that there's no one else in the room, it's just me and Jesus. But Paul paints a very different picture of what communion is. Of course I'm thinking about me and Jesus and what God did and how I'm drawn into that, but I'm not doing it by myself. In fact, part of the, part of the glory of it is that I'm doing it in fellowship with, with one another. I like how, how one uh, pastor put it. Uh, he said, the Lord's Supper is not a private picnic with God, but a feast with one another uh, in fellowship with God. Right? See the difference? It's not a private picnic with God, uh, but a feast with one another. Uh, and, and part of what Paul encourages us to do is to celebrate not just kind of near one another, but he actually celebrate that one another, right? Because right, who are we as we break bread uh, and, and drink the cup? We are those uh, who are, because we're all partake of the one bread, we're, we're one body. And we're, and we're celebrating that, and we're, and we're rejoicing in that. And so part of it, you can even think as we celebrate together, think of how you might try to keep that in mind. Uh, one of the things that, that we, we tried to do even this morning is the hymn that we're going to sing. Uh, if you notice the language in the final hymn, it'll go from uh, thinking about Christ's work for me, and it uses I, me language, but the final verse, it talks about us. Okay, there, there's that transition. We're gonna. Not, it's not just me taking communion. We are taking communion because God saved us as a body. So that's one way we can try to think about that using the, the, the hymn right before communion. The other might be just, just thinking of taking communion maybe with your eyes open. Right? You're still thinking about uh, Christ and having, having fellowship with him and, and his work for you. But you can also look up and even make eye contact with each other. Is that weird? In the midst of communion, to actually make eye contact with somebody else, that probably feels weird. Uh, but, but maybe that's exactly part of it, right? Thank you, Lord, you saved me and, and him and her. And, and you brought us together to, to glorify your name as your treasured possession, right? This, this celebration uh, together. So you see how there's the foundation, our communion with Christ. Uh, there's the follow-up to that, our communion with each other. And then what we could call the, the fallout uh, or, the, or the application of this. Uh, so we, we started off asking that question. Could it be that the Lord's Supper actually helps us do church better? Right, here's this interesting uh, uh, fact that you have Paul writing uh, to this really struggling church. And it's in that very letter that he spends more time than anywhere else in Scripture talking about the Lord's Supper. Could it be that, that this, this supper is not just a means of grace for you and your relationship with the Lord, but actually a means of grace in our relationship with one another? It, it, it kind of makes sense with where Paul is going, isn't it? Uh, the two are connected. As we're connected to Christ, so we're connected to one another. As this is a means of grace strengthening our relationship with God, that it actually strengthens our relationship with one another. Um, that helps us do church even better, it strengthens us, right? There's a little bit of challenge in there, but there's also the strength to do it. Uh, okay, let's take a, a number of just applications that kind of overlap uh, and see what Paul is, I think, challenging the Corinthians on, but he's also, for us, challenging us on. Uh, but challenge in that sense of God's going to give the means of grace to do it. This actually strengthens us uh, to accomplish it. 
So you have the, those specific applications listed there in your bulletin. The first one we could call uh, active commitment. So the Lord's Supper encourages and strengthens us for active commitment uh, to the church. Uh, so part of what communion does, part of what the Lord's Supper does, is give us this regular reminder uh, that, that every Christian needs to be committed to the church. That every Christian needs to be committed to the local church. All right? And, and if you, again, you understand uh, 1 Corinthians' description of communion, you start to get the connection. Right? How verse 16, uh, this supper as this uh, communion with, with Christ and his work for us. Right? His body broken on the tree for us, his communion with Christ. And then it immediately goes to that communion is also communion with one another. Right? The body of Christ, the church. So you start to see how you can't really say, I'll take the body of Christ crucified on the cross for me. I'll take that body, but I'm not going to take the body, the church. Right? You see how that doesn't? I'll take the body of Christ, but not the body of Christ doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Because to, because to be drawn into one is to be drawn into the other. You can't have Christ and not have his church. Or, put positively, uh, communion reminds us that in, with Christ calling us to himself and saving us, uh, he, he's bound us not only to him, but to one another, uh, to be a part of his people that he calls his treasured possession that will dwell with him for all eternity. And drawing us to him, he draws us to, to one another and binds us to one another. And that, that the same spirit that draws us to him uh, strengthens us in our, in our life with one another uh, so that we can be more and more committed to not only to Jesus, uh, but also to Jesus' body. Oh. Traditionally, in, in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, uh, it, when it comes to the subject of who can take the Lord's Supper, who's admitted to the table, uh, traditionally, uh, it has been that those who can take the Lord's Supper are those who are professing members of a local church. Uh, those who can take the Lord's Supper are professing members of the local church, whether that's uh, adults of the current church they're in or visitors who are members of other churches. Uh, or, or adult, or uh, excuse me, children. This is how, uh, when do our children get admitted to the Lord's Supper? That's a good question. Uh, and the, and the, the, the marker in our circles is, well, when they profess their faith and become adult, uh, even if they're you know, younger, members of the church. Right? And you can start to see, you can start to, to see the, the connection here. Now, just a, a word of how we do it here at Emmanuel. I think I can speak for the elders and that, that we recognize that when it comes to church membership, especially in our day, things can get messy, and they do. You know, some people come uh, visiting from churches, and that, that church doesn't even have church membership. Uh, or maybe they have it, but nobody knows about it. Or, or, or you left a church, and they erased you from the rolls and didn't even tell you about it, and you just don't have any idea. So I think we recognize as elders that... You don't want to keep someone from the table just because of bureaucratic red tape. Uh, so, so, so that's not that's not what we're saying. Don't get that message here. Um, that you know, just that the, you got to got to be bureaucratically in the right place uh, in order to take the Lord's Supper. 
But there is this really good principle that I think you can see embodied in it, that flows out of what, what, what Paul's saying, out of the tradition, which is, um, I can't come to the table and say, I'll be committed to Jesus. Yeah, but I want no kind of commitment to his church. I'll take the body, but I really don't want the body. Like that, it's not what God calls us to. It's not what what life in Him is. Uh, and and so you know, if you're if you're someone here who is who who is committed to Christ, a professing believer in Christ, and you're and you're you're pursuing connection and and to, to the church, that we're not saying don't take. Uh, that makes sense if you're pursuing that, you're committed to that, and working on that. That makes sense for you to take. Um, but at the same time, if you're saying I want Jesus, but I really don't want any connection to his church, then, then that's probably a, a, a pause. Maybe I need to rethink that before I take the Lord's Supper. So um, active commitment, active participation. This kind of overlap. Uh, the, the Lord's Supper encourages us uh, to active participation in the local church. Uh, we're going to talk more about what this looks like next week as we look at the extended analogy of the, the body of Christ. Uh, but you can, you can see how, how this idea of, of one bread, one body, and, and we come here and we, and we celebrate not just our, our connection with, with one another or with, with Christ, but our connection with one another. And God strengthens us in that. Uh, a connection that has this living, loving, active quality to it. So how this encourages us to uh, not just formal connection, but active participation in the church. I, I learned this, this new term this week. I was reading an article uh, and learned this new term I'd never heard before. Maybe you've heard it. The idea of soft quitting. You heard this? Apparently it's a thing in business circles uh, that, you know, people trying to describe this, apparently a trend. Nobody really knows if it's a trend for sure, but... Uh, in the business world, people aren't, some at least, aren't quitting their jobs in the sense of hard quitting, like, I give my notice, I'm no longer working here anymore. Um, but, but there are at least some, apparently, who are doing this thing they're calling soft quitting. Uh, in other words, I'm still going to have this job, but I'm going to pull back and disengage so that I'm really only doing like the absolute bare minimum uh, to, to, to stay in this, in this job. Soft quitting. Again, people kind of debate whether is that really a thing. Uh, but this article that I, that I came across was, was connecting this to, to the church and basically saying, are, are we tempted sometimes to soft quit the church? Right? Okay, so maybe it's not, I'm done with the church, I'm never going back. But maybe a temptation to kind of soft quit, you know, just kind of disengage a, a little bit. What's kind of the bare minimum I can do to, uh, to get by? And you can understand the temptation. I mean, go to the go to the Corinthian church. Think about you as a member in the church in Corinth. And you look around, and the church is a mess. There's divisions in the church. There is tribal factions. There is immorality. There's chaotic worship. Uh, there's uh, people being neglected and mistreated. And you look around, and it's just a mess. Uh, you, I would be tempted to kind of disengage my heart a little bit from that. Right, this is a mess. Right? I, you can understand them being kind of tempted to soft quit the, uh, the church. I'm just going to pull back a little bit. Um, you can understand the temptation. 
Of course, a lot of those things that the Corinthian church struggles with, struggled with, are the kinds of things in the church in our day uh, struggles with. Uh, and the same temptation, therefore. Maybe just pull back. Maybe just pull back. But again, the supper strengthens us and encourages us in that. Uh, it reminds us that, that we're bound to Christ and therefore bound to one another. And that he will strengthen us even to do the hard thing. Not just the hard thing of continuing to follow Jesus in a difficult world, but also strengthen us with his spirit to continue to do the hard thing of, of being the church in, 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 a messy, in a messy context. And it also reminds us where that strength comes from. Because right? what do you get here at the supper? But you get this picture of Christ. Christ who will never get disillusioned with you, believer. Isn't that encouraging? Right? Uh, we're, we're tempted in the midst of mess to, to be disillusioned, to pull back from other people. Uh, but here's Christ coming to us. Uh, and you better believe he sees in us some real mess. But yet his commitment to us is such that he never disengages from us. He never gets disillusioned with us. And you can remind yourself of that. I come to a Christ uh, who's never going to pull back from me. And, and what that does is that gives you encouragement. That gives you strength. Uh, not only to cling to him, but also to, to, to be active uh, participants in, in the life of the church. And again, we'll come back next week and talk about, well, what does it mean to be an active participant? What does it look like for me in this season of life or with these gifts? We'll talk more about that. But you get the idea how this encourages and strengthens us to active participation. Uh, active healing. Active healing. Um, could it be that the Lord's Supper actually helps us to heal from really bad church experiences? One of the, one of the things I get to do as, as a pastor is when, when people come in to join the church, get to hear about how God has worked over the course of their lives. And it's this wonderful, wonderful, holy privilege to get to hear the details of God's work over years and decades. It's it's a wonderful thing, one of the things I enjoy most about, about the work. Uh, well, after, you know, 20-some years of doing this, uh, I've also heard in the midst of that lots and lots and lots of stories of really bad experiences in the church. I mean, not making it up or over-exaggerating experiences like, this is awful, like, you were right to run from that congregation kind of experiences, uh, really bad experiences. How do you how do you process that? How do you heal from something like that? You know, maybe maybe this is is your is part of your story. One of these really awful, ugly uh, experiences with with the Church of Christ, right? How do you heal from that and still be committed, active? Like that seems really hard. Well, dawned on me this week. Well, maybe the Lord's Supper is exactly what God gives to help someone process and heal from something like that. I mean, I mean, think about it. Here is not just any Lord's Supper, but this is 1 Corinthians Lord's Supper. So it's, so it's Lord's Supper in the context of, of, of Paul writing to a church that's a mess, and he actually takes that seriously, right? So it's not Paul saying, oh, the church is wonderful. Come on, what are you complaining about? No, it's Paul saying, yeah, this is sin, and that's sin, and yes, church, you need to change and repent, and right? So he acknowledges 
those really ugly things for what they are, calls it what it is. So it's that Lord's Supper. You come to that Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper of the Jesus who actually takes sin in the church seriously, calls it what it is. So not downplaying, not, not coming to the Lord's Supper. What are you complaining about? Not that Jesus. Not that Lord's Supper. Uh, but also what you get. So you get, a, you get a Jesus who takes sin seriously. And hopefully that ministers to your heart. But also you get a, in the Lord's Supper this reminder of, of what the foundation of our faith is and what it isn't. What the foundation of our hope is and isn't. Right? You can, you can see it right there in your outline. The church is critical, but the church is not the foundation and hope of our faith. You can, you can put it this way. Your hope, your safety, is not because you're connected to a great church. Your hope and your safety is because you're connected to a great Savior. And that foundation is so very critical. And in fact, God reminds you of that regularly as you come to the supper. Here's why I'm safe. It's because Jesus will never disappoint me. Jesus will never mistreat me. That's the Savior who has a hold of me and says he will never let go. Uh, and, and you get reminded that right in the midst of the, the messiness of the church, there's your safety and your hope. And that, that certainly seems like the kind of thing that would, would provide some real healing in the midst of difficulty. Okay, two other quick ones uh, moving along. So active presence, active presence in the church. Can you see how the Lord's Supper provides us with this reminder that yeah, it's important to be, to be present with the church? Um, Maggie and I uh, did the bulk of our little toddler raising kid parenting work uh, in the days when there was no Zoom church option, uh, right? And, and, I, and I look back on those days and, and remember the times when, uh, when it would seem like weeks. You'd have one kid that was sick, and then they'd pass the, pass the virus to the other kid, and then to the other kid, and then it would go back around again. And because I had to be here, she would have to be home. For sometimes it seemed like a month that she'd, she'd be out of church uh, by necessity. And, and I look back on, on the, the technology now and think, like, well, that would have been really, really helpful uh, if, if she had that option with a snotty kid on her lap to, 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 be, able to, to be able to turn on the computer and, and connect with and see her church and to, to maintain that by necessity period of, of being separate. Like, like, that would have been a real blessing. And so I think that that idea of having online uh, Zoom church, uh, you can see how that can be so very helpful uh, in certain circumstances. Um, but you also, I think, get reminded at the Lord's Supper why that cannot be the end in itself, that it cannot be the permanent state. I mean, just for the very fact that the Lord's Supper is one key aspect of worship you just can't do on your couch. You can't do it in the First Corinthians 10 way, right? Where it's communion with Christ and communion with each other. You can't do that by yourself on, on the couch. So you, you, you use the online technological tools when it's, when it's really helpful and, and important, right? You got, you got a sick kid, you're recovering from a surgery, or, or you're, battling, uh, you're battling a disease, or helping out with a, a, a family member. There's, there's a key reasons where you, you take advantage of that to stay connected to the body of Christ. 
But you also get reminded in the Lord's Supper, well, that, that can't be permanent, uh, as, as Lord willing, because I, I need what's represented here, that connection, uh, and the physicality of it uh, is critical, both in, both in the celebrating Lord's Supper and the actual fellowship with, with one another. And then one last thing, active preservation, active preservation, uh, that if we are indeed, as the Supper says, one bread, right, one body, because we partake of the one bread, then the call is for us to preserve the unity of that oneness. That's the point that Paul made in our reading in Ephesians 4, uh, where, where he talks that same theme, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, therefore you're one, he says to the Ephesians. Same, same idea. Partake of the one bread, one body. And, and in the midst of that, he says, okay, now what you do is you be careful to preserve it. And, and if you go back to that Ephesians 4 reading, he gives some really practical hints about how you might do that. Uh, he says things like, start off with all humility. There's one that helps in the, in the church. When there's difficulty or, or challenge or tension, if you go into it with humility, you realize, okay, I'm, I'm a, a sinner. And so it could be in the midst of this, I'm the one who's wrong, uh, or a good portion of the wrong. Right? Humility helps me go in thinking of myself not more highly than I should. Uh, and then it goes on, right? All humility, uh, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. So that even if I'm not the one who's wrong, that there's this call to be, to be gentle, uh, to be patient, uh, right? And what does that all do, according to Paul there in Ephesians? This is part of how we preserve uh, the oneness that's, that's in the supper. And you can see how the supper itself is actually a means of grace in that preservation. Uh, can, you, can you see how you, you come to the supper this morning, and what do you, what do you get? But these reminders of, of, of Christ's work for you, right? The, the, the fact that you're a sinner who needs, who needs help, how that humbles you. Even how Christ did it. Right? How did he save you and save me? He humbled himself all the way to death. Uh, and you get to think of, of uh, because of his commitment to you, how, how patient Christ is with us, and how gentle Christ is with us, and how long-suffering he is with us, and how that, how that strengthens us. Therefore, look at the same people around us, right? Kind of eyes open communion. Oh yeah, Christ has been gentle. How that strengthens me to be gentle too how that encourages and builds me up, and how the, so the means of grace with, with my relationship with Christ turns, flows right into a means of grace for us in our relationship to one another. So, actually, the Lord's Supper has quite a lot to do with the church. Uh, and, and it's good to sometimes take a little extra time to, to, to see that, to think that, to see how it gets pretty down-to-earth and, and practical. Uh, again, hopefully you're getting not just the, the challenge, but also the encouragement, the strength. Uh, it's exactly what we get from Christ in our, in our relationship with him at the supper, that we get this, this message of grace, his body given for us, his, his blood shed for us. That's our only hope. Uh, we just receive it by faith. And how that strengthens and encourages our hearts as we're, we're drawn into that, that celebration of his love. And how it also then strengthens us uh, to be in connection with his body, uh, to, to do the, the hard things of, 
uh, of, of loving in his name, uh, right? The same Christ strengthens us there too. And in the same way, Christ gets all the glory for all of it because it all comes from him. And there's our hope and there's our joy. Now let's pray here. Father, we do pray that you would encourage and strengthen. Uh, Lord, delight our hearts with who you are. Uh, Lord, encourage us even through the supper to know you and know you better. We thank you for it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.